Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. So my name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And you may be wondering, Mark, how come you're here preaching and Senior Pastor Ross isn't? So hi, Ross. Hi, Noel. And there, I'm talking to them online, just like everybody else who's watching us online. We're glad to see you. So you're wondering why are Ross and Noel online and not here? It's because Ross is sitting at home holding his brand new baby girl, which is awesome. And I didn't think about this enough, so Ross, you can think about this next time. Next time he has a, like a three-day-old girl on Sunday, he should just come and like hold her up like Lion King style on stage and introduce her. So you guys can all encourage them next time they have a baby that that's what they should do. But no, so we're, we're going to jump into what we're planning to start next week. And we're starting this new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Upside Down Kingdom. And today is intro day. I'm excited about this because this series uh, is, I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to spend 10 weeks digging into the Sermon on the Mount, learning what it means for us to be citizens of God's kingdom, learning what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, what we're called to be and called to do. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into it this morning. But as we get into it, though, it, here's, here's the challenge. This, the Sermon on the Mount can be pa- found uh, chapter Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. So three not-too-long chapters. And I would encourage you to if, grab your Bible and, and turn to there. If you're smart like me and knew that we were doing this, which you didn't, you could already have a marker there and turn quick. If not, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seats in front of you, and I'm, I think it's about page 750-ish, somewhere in there. If I'm wrong, you can come find me afterwards and tell me. Um, but I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to spend, again, the, the next 10 weeks, we're going to spend in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. So here's, before we get started, I wanna, I, we're going to start off with a challenge. Read it. <laughs> There's the challenge. All right. Now we can get specific and I'll let you figure out what you wanted, how you want to take this challenge. But read through these chapters. And maybe you're like, you know what, it's three chapters. I'm going to take that challenge. And every week I'm going to read through those three chapters. We're going to be doing this for 10 weeks. Maybe you're like, in 10 weeks, I'm going to read through those three chapters. All right. But you can take it even further. If you want those three chapters, about 15 minutes to read it. In fact, this morning on my way to church, I hopped in my truck and I hit play. And I listened to those three chapters on the way to church this morning. All right. I want to challenge you. Spend some time, church, as a church, let's read this over and over and over again. Let's get to know these words of Jesus. And we're going to spend some time again over these next 10 weeks digging into him, looking at, at what does it mean? What is Jesus teaching us? Let's let's really dig into this. Uh, if you've been doing the, the Bible reading challenge with us this year, where we kind of set out to try to read through the Bible in a year, uh, if you're like me, you're like really close to being done with the Old Testament. And we're, we're going through, I think we're in, somewhere in Second Chronicles right now. And I feel like the last couple of days has just been a slog. But good news, Thursday we get to Matthew. Which means by next weekend, if you're reading through, man, we're already, we're going to be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 by next weekend. Anyways, and then you can just keep going. If you haven't been doing that, maybe you want to just jump in and finish out the year or as we get to Thursday and get to the New Testament, read through the New Testament. Um, but we want to be people who are constantly reading God's Word because it's not about Mark or Ross or anybody else who gets up here to teach. It's about God's Word. 
And we want to be people who spend time in God's Word. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, the Sermon on the Mount. Here we go. Ready? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, that's where we're going to stop today. Hey, two verses. That's, that's as far as we're going to go today. Uh, because we got to kind of set the, set the scene, right? We, we, whenever you start a chapter like that, now when Jesus saw the crowds, right? Well, what crowds? Why were there crowds? Where was he? He went up on a mountain. We know that's why we call it Sermon on the Mount. That's a little hint for you. It's because he gave a sermon on a mount. Um, but what, what's going on? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to kind of go back and look at and answer kind of those, those questions that set the scene. What's going on? What, what's happening in people's hearts? What, what's happening in their minds? So that as we spend these next 10 weeks looking at the, the actual words of Jesus, as he's teaching, as he's explaining what his kingdom's all about, we can, one, understand what was going on, but, but more importantly, we can put ourselves in those shoes. Jesus is teaching us as we learn what it means to be a part of his kingdom. So to, to set the scene, we have to answer all those obvious questions, right? The who, what, when, where, why, all those kind of things, right? We got to do our research, right? If you're, you're getting ready for, you know, school starting up in the next couple of weeks or this week and college students, are right? You're all getting ready to, to learn. Teachers, you've been at it for a while, getting prepared. So we're, we're going to do our best to do that as well. Well, let's set the scene. So first, the first obvious question is when in the story is this happening, right? When is this taking place? We see Jesus and the crowd, but, but what's going on? And obviously, if you, if you just want to take the obvious look, right, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew goes all the way to, ch- what, 28? So this is early on, right? There's the, there's the quick answer, right? Well, this is early on in the story. But this, is, this really is the launching point for Jesus' ministry. This is his first big public appearance. The, the gospel of Matthew is Matthew wrote the gospel. He, he, he really built this this book around these five big sermons that Jesus gave, these, these groupings of teaching, and the Sermon on the Mount is the first one. And it, and it really is Jesus' kind of launch into ministry. Because you look at those first four chapters that we skip over, right? And you look at Matthew chapter 1, the, the bulk of Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus, telling where Jesus' heritage, his, his family line, going back through and, and tracing that line back that Jesus is a descendant of King David, he's a descendant of of Adam, right? And this tracing this lineage of who Jesus is. And then there's this really brief account at the end of chapter one of, of his birth when the angel appears to Joseph. And so there's chapter one, Jesus is just, he's born. And then you get to chapter two and we get the story of the Magi, right? The, the three kings coming from the east to come and visit Jesus and the interaction with Herod that gets Herod's temper all flared because he doesn't want any challenge to his throne. And so Joseph and Mary take baby Jesus and they flee to Egypt. So again, nothing in Jesus is still a baby at that point. Then we get to chapter 3, and chapter 3 is, is telling the story about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry is he's going out and preaching, telling people that the kingdom of God is near and is at hand. And then that chapter closes with Jesus coming out and being baptized by John. And so really when we talk about where we're at in the story of Jesus' ministry, when we start with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, we have chapter 4. Jesus gets baptized at the end of chapter 3. 
And then chapter 4 is the start of his ministry. And the first half of chapter 4 is Jesus being tempted alone in the wilderness. And so you have this really brief thing in the end of chapter 4 where Jesus starts to teach. And he calls some disciples. And he starts to heal people miraculously. And then we come to chapter 5. So that, there's this the buildup, right? There, not much has happened. And yet, things are starting to build, right? Because there's crowds starting to, to come because they see Jesus healing. And so really, the Sermon on the Mount is his introduction. It's the kickstart to his earthly ministry. So that's when this, in the story is happening. But, but really, we have to ask that big question. What is happening? What's going on? And in those, those two quick verses, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. And the disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Right, the crowds gather. So he, Jesus goes up on this mountainside and sits down, which is kind of the comical piece because right now we're here in this sitting and I'm up here as teacher and you're students, so you're sitting down. Well, in Jesus' day, it's the reverse. I should sit down and you all stand while I talk. Anybody want to try that? No. Come on. This would have been fun. I know, that's what it's eating. So he goes up on this hillside and sits down, and everybody gathers around to listen. But, but why are the crowds there? I, obviously, it's, it's this, you're starting to hear rumors that Jesus is going around and healing people. He's beginning this ministry and teaching. He's, he's healing all the sick people who are brought to him. So obviously, that's going to draw a crowd. Right? People start to hear rumors and rumblings that, man, there's this miraculous stuff going on. Let's go see. And so people start to flock around to see. But it's more than just that. Right? It's more than just the, the, the miracles, although that's a huge deal. It's, it's this, this piece that there's this promised Messiah. A promised Messiah who's, who's supposed to come. And people have been hearing about him. And the Jewish people have been clinging to this hope for over 400 years. That someday a Savior was going to come to rescue them. That a descendant of David was going to come and set them free. And they lived through, right? they lived through the exile in Babylon. They had dealt with the Persians. They had lived under the occupation of the Greeks and now the Romans. They're used to this. And, and there's this building hope that someday, someday a Savior is going to come. And so when word starts to spread that there's this new teacher, when word starts to spread that not only is there this new teacher, but he's doing miraculous things, people start gathering around. People start flocking to come and see what is really going on. Could this maybe be the Messiah? And we see this, this attitude, this, this kind of underlying hope that the people were clinging to in, in Acts chapter 6. Right after in Luke's account, after Jesus has died and risen, and the the early church is starting, and the Pharisees are trying to figure out that the, the one of the Pharisees named Gamaliel kind of talks to the crowd and says, "Hey, kind of putting things in perspective." And he mentions a couple other people who had done similar things. There's this guy named Howard, oh, I can't remember his name. What is it? Thutis, I think, something like that. I should have just said it confidently, and you all assumed I knew it, right? 
I mean, this guy, he gathered a crowd of like 400 people who started to follow him. But then he died and became nothing. And then there was another guy, Judas, who did the same thing. There was this, this theme of, of people kind of rising up and people gather around him hoping that maybe this is it. And so John the Baptist is coming, crowds gathered to see what John was all about. He just kept saying, it's not me, I'm, there's someone who's coming. And then Jesus comes along, and so crowds begin to form. Because people were ready for a new kingdom. They were, they were done with the oppression of, of outsiders. They were fed up with Rome. And they were ready for a new kingdom. And so maybe this was it. So a huge part of the crowd is that. But then we also come to this other huge question of, of where is this taking place? What, we kind of understand what's going on and, and where this is at. But, but, okay, so physically, where is this taking place? Like on a mountain, okay, obviously that far. But, but what kind of mountain? Because growing up in the Northwest, when I think of mountains, I think of like snow-capped peaks. And I can't, it's not like Jesus climbed like some monk who's up there just like in solitude in the freezing cold. And people are like hiking up to get to him. He, he's sitting on a hillside. On the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, outside of the town of Capernaum. And you see, this is where Jesus had started his ministry, going out and talking to the people in that area. And as the crowds gather, he goes up to this hillside, and people kind of gather around and sitting or standing around so they can hear as he's kind of in this probably some sort of natural amphitheater. So that he's speaking, they can all hear. But this is, again, this is not. Where all the big weeks gather. This is kind of in the rural northern territories, far away from the political and religious epicenter of Jerusalem. So someone's going to start something big, they're going to go down there because that's where all the people of power are. But Jesus is gathered around with all of these peasants, all these normal people, people who are, were looking for hope, and they gather around to hear him teach. So now we come to the, the two big questions. Who is there and what is this message that Jesus talks about? But I want to start first with the question of who was there? Who are these people who gather around? Who's this crowd that Jesus is teaching? Because right? Jesus sees the crowd and he gathers and his disciples sit down to listen. Well, we're not talking about just the, the 12 disciples, right? At this point, Jesus just called a few of his disciples, but there's people falling around curious. And they're all there to, to come and hear. And I think as we look at this crowd, I think there are three groups of people as a part of this crowd. And here's the interesting thing is I think that those same three groups of people are present here. And so as we talk through these crowds of people, I want you to think about, like, who are you? In this crowd, in, in, this, in this room, who, who do you identify with? You see, the first group of people that were there are those who believe they had it and were looking for affirmation. And these are the people who, who think they've got to figure out, I understand the way the world works. I understand how the kingdom of God is supposed to be. I've gotten all figured it out, and I've, I've been doing my best to toe the line and do it. Can, I'm looking for this teacher who's basically going to come and say, yep, you're, you've done it right. You're in. Great work. Good job. Glad to have you on my team. These are the people who, who 
have things figured out. They've figured out the way the world works, and they're doing their best to, to fit in. And yes, they've got some flaws. They're not perfect, but they're, they're definitely part of the in crowd. See, in Jesus' day, they had the, the law and the oral tradition, and, and they're doing their best to, to do everything they could the right way. But they come and they find a teacher who t talks a little bit differently. He teaches a little bit differently. Look at the, the end of, of chapter 7. As the, the Sermon on the Mount wraps up, Jesus teaching in verse 28, it says, When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There's something different about this teacher. He didn't just teach. He taught with authority. And so they come, they gather these people who, man, I think I've got things figured. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know how it goes. But there, there's something about Jesus. So I want to come and hear him. Because he teaches differently. He has authority. He's not just saying the things that all the teachers say. He says it differently with power and authority. I want to know. And I'm looking for affirmation that yes, everything I believe checks out and I'm, I'm doing things right. In reality, they're probably hoping that he would acknowledge their hard work. And because they assumed they were in, they were, they were hoping to reap the benefits. Right, I've done everything I, I can, everything I know to do right. So here I am, accept me and, and let me reap the benefits of being a part of the, the in crowd. So that's the, the first group of people. The second group of people are, are the, 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 clearly the opposite. Right, that second group of people, these are the people who knew they were out. But they were looking for a miracle. Now, these are the people who, again, they, they understand how the world works. They understood how the kingdom was supposed to be, and, and they clearly didn't measure up. Now, I don't know what it was. Everybody's story was probably a little bit different, right? But there's something clear about it, like, I don't fit in. I don't know if it's, it's the, the bad choices I have made, or maybe life's just dealt me a, a hard thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's health. Maybe I, I don't fit in. Maybe my family, maybe I was born in the wrong family. But for some reason, I'm on the outside looking and I'm the poor, I'm the marginalized, and there's no hope for me. There's nothing I can do to fix things. But they're there in that crowd because they heard something different and they're hanging out for a miracle, right? Here's, here's this guy, I heard he was healing people, right? And he's got power over physical stuff maybe there's something to this guy maybe just maybe there's hope for me again look at how this this story ends after jesus spends these three chapters teaching the beginning of matthew chapter 8 when jesus came down from the mountainside large crowds followed him and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said lord if you were willing, you can make me clean. Here's this guy who knew he was on the outside. He was a leper. He was ostracized. He couldn't be a part of regular society. And, and I don't know whether, as Jesus is teaching, he's hanging out on the margins, just hoping to try to catch the words of Jesus. He's clinging to a hope that maybe, just maybe, there's still hope for me. 
So that's part of the crowd. These people who know they have no hope unless a miracle happens. And then we have the third group. And the third group of people, I, I believe, is a, a, a pretty big group of the crowd and, and probably is a big group of our crowd too. These are the people who are unsure, but were looking for truth. I, they're, they're unsure. I, I think I understand the way the world works, but, but it doesn't seem quite right. I don't know if I quite haven't figured out. I, I think so, but I'm not sure. I mean, I believe there's a God. I believe that maybe there's something about this Jesus guy, but I can't quite piece it all together. And maybe it's because every time I get close, I, I seem to get hurt or things seem unfair or unjust. And I can't measure those things up. Or, or maybe all the examples I've seen have been bad examples. Maybe I can't overlook the hypocrisy I see because the church that's supposed to be the living out what Jesus teaches doesn't seem to measure up to what I read. Or maybe it's something to myself. I just can't, I can't figure things out. But I'm still searching because there's 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 got to be something to this. Yeah, maybe life hasn't worked out for me. Yeah, maybe I can't overlook the the things that I see going wrong in the world. But I want to trust that Jesus is for real. And so maybe I'm going to give him a, a chance. Maybe I'm going to show up and listen because there's something different. So again, the question is, who are you? Who are you in that crowd? Be honest with yourself. And I think as we understand who we are, the way we approach the teachings of Jesus, it, it affects the way that we understand what he's calling us to. We understand the, the way that the message is to us. <laughs> So I want you to repeatedly kind of ask yourself that question as we go through this series, as we unpack the message of the kingdom that Jesus describes. Who are you? And what, is, what does this kingdom mean to you? So then this leads us to the, the final and obvious questions. What, what is this message that Jesus is going to teach? Right? As he's gathered the crowds, this is the start of his ministry. What is he going to tell them? And you see, this teaching, this Sermon on the Mount lays the groundwork for what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. Jesus describes, here's what my kingdom looks like, and here's what the citizens of my kingdom act like. This is what it's all about. The Sermon on the Mount is sometimes thought of as is Jesus' declaration of the kingdom, right? We think of the Declaration of Independence. You have all the American revolutionaries. They sit down and they, they put together this document that declares, here's what we believe and what we value, and this is going to be the guiding principle for, for this, this new nation that we, will, that we believe we're called to create. Well, in a similar way, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' declaration of, here's what the kingdom, my kingdom, looks like, and here's what it means to be a part of it. And again, we're, we're just two verses in. We haven't even got to what Jesus starts to say. But this is what we're going to unpack over these next 10 weeks as we look at what is Jesus teaching us about his kingdom and what it means. 
You see, because all the people that Jesus was talking to, they're caught up in this in in their own cultural norms, right? The, the religious expectations. They they thought they understood what a king, the kingdom of God was about. They had spent their whole life learning uh, the rules of obedience. Again, they had the law that they followed, and on top of that, they had this religious tradition that man they wanted to obey. They wanted to do things God's ways, and they spent their life trying to. And we're just like them. We have our own unique cultural and religious norms that we're trying to toe the line. This is what we believe we're, we're supposed to do. And we're doing our best to do it in the hopes that, man, I, I hope that when Jesus comes back, that, that I've done enough. That I'm good enough. That I've, I've done the right things. You see, Jesus' message is just for us. Because as we think about those three crowds... Uh, those three types of people, it's, it's easy. We're, we're, we're all smart enough that we can kind of piece it together, right? There's the good, right? The people who think they're good, they're trying to do it. And we, we know that, man, they're not really the good people because they're the bad people because they've got it wrong, right? As much as we want to say they're the good people, we, we're, we've heard the stories. We know the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They're the ones who are Jesus' enemies. So clearly they're doing it wrong. They had it backwards. But the disciples, man, they were the good ones. They, they realized something was wrong, so they started following Jesus instead of the old way of doing things. So they're the good ones, so we want to be like the disciples. But, man, let's be honest. At this point in, in the story, the disciples still don't have things figured out. And just a couple chapters after this, they're in the storm, and Jesus calms the storm and rescues them. And their, their response is, who is this? It's not until like Matthew chapter 16 after another storm that, G, that Peter makes the declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of God. They're still trying to piece things together and understand just like we are. Now, I don't know about you, but my hunch is that a bunch of you are similar to me. I, what I mean by that is that you are people who really want to do what's right and see so you work really hard at doing it, it's really easy to get caught up in just doing the right thing. I, I, I understand how the how way the world works. So I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I want to do it to please God, but pretty soon I get really good at doing the right thing. And man, I don't need Jesus anymore because look, I'm doing everything good. Look at me. Everybody likes me. Everybody's accepting of me because I'm being good and I've done enough. So man, I don't need a savior anymore because Man, I can just have pride in who I am and how good I've become. You see, that's who the Pharisees were. It's easy for us to look back and be like, man, the Pharisees were bad. And yet the reality is I read through the Gospels and I read the Gospel accounts, I read about the Pharisees and I'm like, man, that's me. See, the Pharisees, the, the people of God knew that they had messed up and they, they suffered through exile. And then they came back and they were like, not again. We're not screwing up again. We failed the first time. We didn't keep the law. We're going to do better this time. In fact, we're going to do so much better that we're going to add extra rules to make sure that we don't break the rules. Because if I accidentally break these extra rules, I still haven't broke the other rules. And so it's like double, triple protection layer. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work so hard. I'm going to... Man, God's going to be so glad when he comes back because he's going to be like, wow, good job. And they got so focused on being good that they missed Jesus. They missed the reality that no matter how good they tried to be, they still didn't measure up to God's standard of perfection. 
And see, what we're going to get into, here's the, the sneak peek into the next 10 weeks, is this. Jesus comes and he teaches everybody. He says, hey, you think you know how the world works. Here's the system. And you either think you're in or out based on your ability to do all this. Well, well here's how the world works. And you know what Jesus does? He flips it right upside down. The things that, may, that we think matter don't and the things that we overlook are the things that are at the heart. Jesus cares about our heart. He wants our hearts. He wants us to recognize that, man, I don't have what it takes. No matter how hard I try, I will never measure up. I need a Savior. And this is why we call it the upside-down kingdom. Because Jesus is taking the way things work and it flips them on their head. And we're going to dig into that over the coming weeks. But here's where I want to, to focus in right here at the end today. Is this, if we understand that Jesus is declaring the kingdom, this is the way the kingdom works. I'm the king. Do you know what it means to be a kingdom citizen? Same thing it makes in every kingdom. If there's a king and I want to be a part of his kingdom, what do I need to do to become a kingdom citizen? You have to submit to the king. You have to admit and acknowledge that I'm not the king. He is. I want, to flip, I want you to flip ahead with me really quick to, to Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 9, you guys will recognize this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You guys all recognize that, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. But you know, do you, do you see what this really is? This prayer is an oath to the king. This prayer is an act of submission. It's laying aside my own rights, my own authority, recognize I'm not the king. Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. It's an act of submission to a king. The question laid out for each of the groups of people there, the, the, the question laid out for each of us is the same. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you in or out? Are you going to try to do things on your own? Are you going to bend your knee to Jesus? Our culture tells us to, to pardon. I'm going to kind of piece things together. I'm going to take a little bit of what you see of Jesus. I like this, but I, I like some of these other things too. And I'm just going to kind of piecemeal my own thing that works for me. I'm going, to, I'm going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. These parts of Jesus, I don't like that so much, so I'm going to leave that. I'm going to, I'm going to make my own thing. But you know what the problem is that is when we do that, what's at the center of all that? Me. God, I'm, I'm the center of my own world. I may take some great teachings here and there, but it, it's all about me. And what Jesus says is that here's the kingdom and, and I'm the king. And if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then we have to submit to Jesus. So again, the question that, that we're going to come to again and again as we work our way through this sermon series is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? As he presents what his kingdom is all about, as he presents what it means to be a kingdom citizen, the question is, is really to you. Are you going to just say, oh, that's great, and I'll, I'll kind of add some of that to my life? Or 
or are you willing to bow a knee and admit that Jesus, no matter what I do, I don't have enough. I submit to you as king. You're God, I'm not. That's the question that we're faced with. It's the question the crowds were faced with. Unlike the crowds, we get to read the rest of the story. We get to see how Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, how Jesus came as God coming and living a perfect life that we couldn't do. That he became the perfect sacrifice. Then all of our failure, Jesus came and he took all that upon himself and he's given us this invitation to become kingdom citizens as we bow our knee to him, as we accept what he has done for us. And so the question we'll come to is, what are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to treat him as just another good teacher? Or is he Lord? And if Jesus is Lord of my life, then what does my life look like? How do I learn to become a kingdom citizen? How does my life change in, in reference to him as king? That's at the heart of this Sermon on the Mount. And it's the question that each of us get to wrestle with. Who is Jesus or what do we do with him? Do we push him to the side or do we surrender to him as king? We're going to wrap up our time in singing when the song that we're going to sing is talking about how Christ is our cornerstone, that our hope is in him alone. Because that's the reality that we come to, that we, we get a chance as we're reminded of, of that Jesus is king, that we get to declare that. And so I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, the band's going to come out. They're going to just lead us in a time of singing. It's, it's an opportunity to respond to the truth of who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the truth of who you are. That no matter where we find ourselves, whether we think we're, we're good enough or, or whether we know that we're not, that the reality is the same, that, that, that we never could measure up. And yet, Jesus, you loved us and you were willing to chase after us and rescue us. And so, Jesus, our hope is found in you and in you alone. And so, Jesus, we want to worship you as King. And we thank you that you loved us enough to rescue us. And you have given us the opportunity to, to willingly come to you and to bow our knee to you and to worship you as King. And so, Jesus, we do that together. And it's your wonderful name, Jesus, we pray.